0: it's good to be here this morning. So Bill was an evangelist at heart. He belonged to a small church that was nestled in the middle of a a mid-sized city. And every Sunday morning, without fail, he would go to church, attend services, and then every Sunday afternoon, he would head out to First in Maine, where he would hand out Bible pamphlets and he would talk to people about Jesus. Now most people in these encounters would would ignore him. Occasionally he'd come across somebody who'd, you know, be happy to talk to him for a few moments. But what he really enjoyed were those Sundays that he would have a long and in-depth conversation with an unbeliever, when they could really share with him what was on their hearts, what was on their minds, and he could answer some questions. And although nobody had ever come to faith, nobody had ever prayed for salvation, you know, in those moments with him, he was confident, and he was happy knowing that he was leading people one step closer to salvation. Now, the other people in Bill's church, they knew about his, his typical Sunday afternoon habit. And he used to invite them, but whenever he was inviting them, there was always a polite excuse as, as why they just couldn't join him. And eventually, because as he noticed, he, he kept asking this, and eventually people started to kind of avoid him in service, so eventually he just stopped asking. But this Sunday was different. Bill sat through service as usual, and when service ended, he was starting to pack up his belongings so he could he could make his way to go and, and head out to the street corner. But he was intercepted by the pastor and a young man by the name of Jimmy. The pastor introduced this young man, Jimmy, and, and said, "You know, Jimmy had just come to the city." a few months ago, and had only recently become a Christian. And earlier in Jimmy's conversation with the pastor, Jimmy had shared that he you know, was excited about his faith. He didn't really know what to do with it, but he just knew that he wanted to share Jesus with people. So, so knowing this, and knowing what Bill's typical habit was on a Sunday afternoon, the pastor thought it wise to introduce the two to each other. So Bill was a little bit skeptical about this at first because Jimmy was a brand new believer and he wasn't sure about bringing somebody like that out with him to join him in doing evangelism. But he thought about it a little bit more and he was like, you know, I mean, why would I want to stop anybody from sharing the gospel? So he agreed and he he agreed to bring Jimmy along. So the the two of them left church. They went to a nearby deli and while they were eating a, a quick lunch, Bill asked Jimmy a little bit about his testimony, and he also spent some time sharing with him what it was like to share the gospel in that city. And Jimmy was very attentive through this whole process. So 30 minutes later, they were on the street corner. Bill told Jimmy, look, I'm going to stand on this side, and I'm, you know, I'm going to use these Bible pamphlets, and you go stand on the other side, and you have some, and you know, if you've got questions about what's going on, just look across and, and see what I'm doing. So they started out. And, you know, for the first 10 minutes or so, not much really happened. Bill had a few conversations with some people. He handed out a few Bible pamphlets, and he looked across the street and noticed, you know, Jimmy seemed to be doing about the same out there. Not, not much going on, but it seemed to be good. So another 10 minutes went by, and more of the same, for the most part, for Bill, but this time, he looked across the street and noticed that Jimmy was actually involved in a conversation with somebody. He thought, wow, this is, this is great. Somebody who's out there for the first time is actually talking with somebody. So, you know, keeping that in the back of his mind, Bill turned his attention back to his side of the street. He looked down, and he saw that there was a woman who was sitting on a park bench. So he thought, eh, you know, I'll go down and talk to her. So he walked down. He talked to her for a little bit. And it was, it was a pleasant enough conversation, but... You know, once she realized what he was talking about, you know, she, she wasn't really that interested. And Bill didn't blame her for this. I mean, he, you know, he was kind of used to this sort of thing occurring. And he knew his responsibility was really just to share the word, spread the seed. And hopefully that would take root at some point. So he finished up his conversation and decided to walk back towards his corner where he was originally. And while he was doing so, he, he looked because he wanted to see where Jimmy was and see how Jimmy was doing. But Jimmy didn't seem to be where he was originally. He looked and there was actually a, a small crowd of about five or six people who were in that spot. And, you know, Bill was a little bit perplexed by this. And, and then he noticed that Jimmy was actually in the middle of that group of people. And he was actually a little bit concerned because he thought, well, you know, are they bullying him? Are they heckling him? You know, what's, what's going on right now? So he sped up a little bit, you know, checked both ways, walked across the street. And once he started getting a little bit close to the crowd, he actually noticed that there were two people in that crowd, a, a young couple, who had their heads bowed in prayer, and Jimmy was actually praying over them. And Bill was amazed. He was like, wow, you know, there's some people who are actually praying with Jimmy while he's out here. He walked up a little bit closer, and once he got to the back of this little group, the, the couple ended the prayer, Jimmy ended the prayer, and they thanked Jimmy very much and kind of headed on their way. But before anybody could say anything, uh, one of the women in that group stepped up and started asking Jimmy some questions. And one by one, the people in this little group asked Jimmy some questions. Some of them were challenging questions. Some of them were, you know, trying to figure out what, what this whole Christian deal was about. But without variation, everybody who was asking Jimmy questions was, was respectful, and they were really listening intently to what he had to say, and they were, they were receiving what he had to say. So eventually, the group dissipated. Everybody kind of asked the questions that they wanted or or grabbed a a Bible pamphlet or or whatever it was. They kind of headed their way. And all Bill could really do is just stammer, how? You know, he he just was amazed, again, by this whole process because he had never seen that happen in his own experience. Well, Jimmy kind of smiled a little bit at this. And he said, well, I, I wasn't having very much luck handing out those Bible pamphlets. And nobody really seemed to want to talk to me when I was approaching them and saying Jesus loves them or or whatever. But then it occurred to me that yesterday I had gone to the bank and I had gotten out $40 and $5 bills. So I wrote Jesus saves on all of them and I started handing those out. And, And when people got those and saw that it was real money, they couldn't help but turn around and ask me what this was all about. Well, Bill thought this was great. He, 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 he laughed. He actually gave Jimmy a really big hug. And then, you know, on second thought, he was thinking, you know what? I'm going to check my own wallet and see where things go himself. Well, it's great to be here today at New Life Fellowship. As, as Corey mentioned, uh, Nathan's away on vacation this week. Um, and he had asked me to deliver a sermon uh, while he was gone. So I picked one on one of Jesus's parables. And this is actually a parable that has been fairly instructive to me over the last several years. And as we discuss that and discuss this teaching of of Christ, I'll show you kind of how that ties into this story about Bill and Jimmy. So this morning, we're going to talk about what Jesus said about the use of money, about the use of wealth, the things that we own to advance the kingdom of God. Now, if you're new here, don't worry. This is not a message asking you to give money to New Life Fellowship Church. That's not what this is about But God does actually have a lot to say about money. He has a lot to say about the use of money. And so we're gonna be looking at some of those teachings in Luke 16. So if you've got a Bible, you can turn to Luke 16. We're gonna be starting in verse one. I'm also gonna read it, and you can uh, just listen or follow along. Again, that's Luke 16, verse one. Jesus told his disciples there was a rich man So he called on each one of his master's debtors. He asked the first, how much do you owe my master? 900 gallons of olive oil, he replied. The manager told him, take your bill, sit down quickly and make it 450. Then he asked the second, how much do you owe? A thousand bushels of wheat, he replied. He told them, take your bill and make it 800. The master commended the dishonest manager because he had acted so shrewdly. Let's pray. Lord, we just pray that as you are teaching us this morning, teaching us about the use of wealth to advance your kingdom, that not only you would give us fresh instruction, Lord, but you would give us the boldness to walk in the ways that you're commanding. Pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. So what's going on in this parable? We have a rich man, you know, the boss, if you will, who's employed a manager that he believes is poorly managing his possessions. He says that, that this guy was actually wasting them. So the rich man demanded that this manager actually give some sort of an account. He wanted to essentially do a financial audit. You know, look at the books for what his manager was doing. And hearing this, the manager, you know, he's not bothering to try and defend himself because he knows that he's been mismanaging things. So instead, he's really just trying to do damage control before his inevitable firing. He needs a way of making a living. He he doesn't want to do manual labor. He doesn't want to beg, but he comes up with this other plan. And his idea is to be really nice to the guys who owe his boss money so that when he is fired, then maybe they will take him in. And he plans to do this by significantly cutting down their bills. And we're not just talking about, you know, pocket change here, like, you know, giving them half price on their daily cup of coffee or something. I mean, this is a, a substantial amount of money. The, the first guy owes the manager's boss 900 gallons of oil, which would have been the equivalent of about three years' annual salary for the average wage owner. And he cuts that in half. And then the second guy owes his boss a thousand bushels of wheat, And he cuts that down, well, a thousand bushels of wheat would have been about nine years of uh, average salary for the average wage owner. Okay, and so he cuts that by 20%, which would again have been about a three and a half years worth of salary that this guy is just removing from these bills. So these are some very large and very costly reductions that this manager is making. And again, he was doing this so he could kind of earn favor with these guys for when he eventually lost his job. And then at the end of the parable, we actually see that the boss commends the manager because he acted so shrewdly and cleverly. Now, that doesn't mean that the, that the boss, the rich man, let his manager keep his job or anything. It's just that the, the rich man saw the wisdom in how the manager tried to protect or to provide for his own future. So how do we interpret this? Well, conveniently, Jesus goes on to explain at the second half of verse eight. Jesus says, for the people of this world are more shrewd, or wise, more shrewd in dealing with their own kind than are the people of the light. Jesus is comparing the way the manager as a person of this world deals with people compared to the way that the followers of God deal with people. Jesus is basically saying that people of the world are better at dealing with unbelievers then often believers are dealing with unbelievers. Now, Jesus is not suggesting that we, you know, be dishonest and we steal or things like that, which was what the manager was doing. But he goes on to explain further in verse 9. He says, I tell you, use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourselves so that when it is gone, you will be welcomed into eternal dwellings. So Jesus is saying that we all have wealth at our disposal. We all have money or, or just simply things that we own. And Jesus is saying to use this worldly wealth to gain friends. But what does that mean? What does it mean to gain friends? Why is it important to gain friends? And what does it mean when he talks about being welcomed into eternal dwellings? Well, this brings us back to our story of Bill and Jimmy. Many Christians tend to be like the Christians in Bill's church. They may take their faith seriously, they may share their faith with others, but often there is not much of a sacrifice there. And often when there is sharing, it does not yield much of a result. But then we have other Christians like Jimmy. Jimmy had just come to faith. He knew from recent experience, not only that the message of Christ was important, but he also knew what was important in his old life. In this case, I mean, he knew money was important. So he wisely used that which was valued in the world as a means of sharing what he knew was ultimately valuable, which was the message of Christ. And, and in his situation, the world responded. And this is by not, not by any means a, a far-fetched idea. If you think about this for a moment, let's say you're in downtown Saratoga Springs and you are... You know, you got an appointment uh, to meet with a friend for coffee at Uncommon Ground. OK, so you're on your way, and somebody stops you and asks you to take a 10-minute survey. Now, just by a show of hands, who would be willing to stop and take the survey? OK, so a few people. What if they said, hey, um, take this 10-minute survey, and I'll give you a free bottle of soda? OK, so a few more. What if they said, uh, you take the survey, I'll give you $20? Okay, so yeah, yeah a, a lot, lot more hands. Now, giving $20, okay, to take a survey is probably not a great financial strategy for a business, but how is it advancing the kingdom of God? Now, for, for most of us, if we go and talk to a random stranger, you know, and, and it might depend on the situation, you know, they might listen politely for a little bit. Some people might just walk away. Somebody could occasionally be a little bit hostile, but what if you ask them to listen to you in exchange for giving them $20, okay? I, I would dare say that most people will be willing to listen and they'd probably listen pretty attentively. You see, there's a, a couple things happening with this. First off, if you were to give somebody $20, you know, that's going to just draw people in because very few people are going to just turn down $20 to listen to somebody for, you know, five minutes. But the second aspect of this is perhaps more critical. The person who's listening to you is going to have to ask themselves, what is so important about this message that somebody is willing to part with $20 just to listen to them for five minutes? I mean, to them, it's going to have to be something. And even if they don't respond to anything in that moment, they're probably going to be thinking about that encounter for the rest of the day they come across a friend of theirs, they'll probably be like, hey, I was just talking to this Christian who just wanted five minutes of my time and gave me $20 just to listen to them. In fact, there's a good chance they're going to remember that encounter for the rest of their lives. And hopefully, one day, they will respond to it. You see, this is what Jesus is talking about in this parable. This is being wise with worldly wealth to gain friends. These are not simply friends that you might know at work or you might talk to on occasion. These are friends who will welcome you into eternal dwellings, into heaven, because you wisely used worldly wealth to let the gospel be accessible to them, to be able to present it to them. And as a result, they were able to embrace eternal life because of the sacrifice that you made. Really, this is no different than if you actually saved someone's life here. You know, there's an eternal gratitude, a bond of friendship that forms, that's beyond just maybe a normal passing acquaintance. And the bonus of this too, is the giving of something along with sharing makes that sharing of the gospel a whole lot easier. So when it comes to money, Jesus is telling us that we are to use our worldly wealth to help share the good news with others. But there's some other things that he has to say as well. Taking a look, uh, continuing in verse 10. Whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. And whoever is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much. So if you've not been trustworthy with handling worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches? And if you've not been trustworthy with someone else's property, who will give you property of your own? So even though the manager in this parable was commended by his boss, you know, the the manager was not going to be kept around simply because he clearly was not trustworthy with his boss's possessions. And neither are you or I going to let somebody manage our financial affairs if they've been in a habit of cheating people. So Jesus is kind of stating the obvious here. If we want to be trusted with big and important things, then first we have to be trusted with small things. If we can't handle worldly wealth wisely, such as using wealth to advance the kingdom of God, then why would God give us things that are more valuable than that? So us using worldly wealth to share the gospel not only means that we will have a a means of having friends who will welcome us into eternity, but it also means that God can trust us with true riches. And he will be inclined to provide more at our disposal. Now, don't think that this means that if you give a little bit of money, then God is suddenly going to make you rich. That's not what Jesus is talking about. Jesus is simply saying that how we handle worldly wealth impacts his ability to, to trust us. And, and as a result, will be more likely to put us in possession of more important things, true riches. Continue in verse 13. No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. The Pharisees who loved money heard all this and were sneering at Jesus. He said to them, you are the ones who justify yourselves in the eyes of others, but God knows your hearts. What people value highly is detestable in God's sight. So Jesus is clearly saying that if you love money, you cannot also love God. It's either one or the other. And Paul says this is another way in Ephesians 3, verses 4 through 7. He says, and he's talking to fellow Christians here, he says, let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place, but instead let there be thanksgiving. For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who is covetous, covetous, that is an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not become partners with them. Now, there's several things in this passage that we're not gonna talk about, but specifically in verse five in there, it says, and Paul says, whoever is sexually immoral or impure or who is covetous, and covetous can also be translated as greedy, a greedy person is an idolater. So in other words, God sees greed the love of money, the same as idol worship. So loving money is worshiping money rather than worshiping God. And this is really in direct opposition to God himself. The first of the 10 commandments in Exodus 20 says you shall have no other gods before me. And the second is you shall not bow down or worship them. So this is very serious stuff. The love of money is dangerous and puts us in direct opposition to God. And maybe this is why Paul, he says that one of the qualifications for an elder or a pastor in 1 Timothy 3 is they are not to be a lover of money. Cuz a lover of money is is not going to be using money wisely, okay? They're not going to be using it to help other people or to advance the kingdom of God. They're more likely to idolize the money. Or they might just simply keep it for themselves. And again, they're not showing a trustworthiness of worldly wealth. So how we use worldly wealth, how we manage it, can even impact how God may allow us to serve him. Now, perhaps you're hearing this and you're asking yourself, do I love money? Or, or maybe you even recognize that you do love money in some capacity. And you might think, well, you know, what, what can be done about that? Well, there is something that can be done, and it's actually pretty simple, at least in theory. It's three words, give it away. Give it away. Um, Now, at the beginning, I, I told you that this message is not about giving money to New Life Fellowship Church, and it's not. Okay, this is about advancing the kingdom of God. It's about separating ourselves from idolatry and using worldly wealth wisely. Well, how does giving money away make us not love money? And this is actually something that Jesus talks about in Scripture if you were to look a little bit further on in Luke 18, um, I'm not going to read this story, but this is the, the encounter of Jesus and the rich man. And, and this, this guy, he asked Jesus what he must do to inherit eternal life. And the man, at least in claim, to be following many of the Ten Commandments, he said he wasn't committing adultery or murdering or stealing. He said he wasn't giving false testimony. He said he was honoring his father and mother. But then Jesus challenged him and told him he lacked one thing. He told him to sell everything he had, give it to the poor, and then he will have treasure in heaven. Well, Why did Jesus say that? Well, of all the Ten Commandments, this man said that he was following. He never claimed to be loving God and not worshiping idols, which is probably good because Jesus probably would have called him out on that. You see, this man's problem is that he loved money more than he loved God. And what was Jesus's solution? Well, it's difficult to love those things that you don't have. And Jesus told him to give all of his money to the poor because without his treasure being in money, then that would transfer his treasure to being in heaven. Now, this is not a universal teaching in the sense that everyone who has money must give it away, but it is a universal teaching in the sense that if you do give away money, you cannot help but break that idolatry that we often have to money and your love will switch from the love of money to the love of God. This is God's solution for our very common love of money problem. So if you love money, give it away till you don't love it anymore. But beyond this, we know that when we give money, we need to be giving money in such a way that we are advancing the kingdom of God. This is again what being trustworthy with worldly wealth means. And it's actually killing two birds with one stone here. We can break our habit of idolatry And we can show God that we are trustworthy with worldly wealth, those things that he has given us. Now, some churches will tell you flat out that you need to give exactly 10% of your money to the church, okay? I'm not going to say that because that's not what the Bible says. If you have a question about that, you can ask me about that afterwards. So the Bible doesn't say we have to give exactly 10% of our wealth, but we do have to give and we need to be wise in how we give. You need to be asking yourself, how is my giving advancing the kingdom of God? Giving money to a local scouting group so that they can go on a retreat may not, and probably isn't just in and of itself, advancing the kingdom of God. However, if you use that giving as a way to share with them about Jesus, then it would be advancing the kingdom of God. Giving money to a local nonprofit so that they can keep They're electric on and they can keep functioning, may not in and of itself be advancing the kingdom of God. But if that nonprofit's job is to share Jesus with people, well, the given in that case would be advancing the kingdom of God. Bill, from the story I shared, was a bold Christian. Okay, so he was seeking to do God's work. And in that, he should be respected. In, in many ways, I mean, he was very diligent about spreading the gospel. So this is not a knock against him in any way. I mean, he's more bold than, than most of us and very dedicated in that fact. So that should be admired in Bill. However, as Jesus shared in the parable, Bill lacked some of the shrewdness of Jimmy because Jimmy had just come out of the world. He knew what the world loved. And so he gave money as a way of making it easy to share Jesus with them. So what are some ways that you can be shrewd? What are some ways you can be wise with money? Now, giving out money freely to people, of, co- you know, of course that would work, right? I mean, we hear about stories in the newspaper where somebody gave a bunch of money and it you know, made the headlines, but we don't have to do it that way. And most of us wouldn't be able to afford to do it that way for very long. But what about giving gifts to your neighbors or your coworkers, maybe at Christmas or or Easter with an invitation to come to to church? What about giving a 100% tip at a restaurant along with some sort of a, a gospel track or something like that? What about mowing the lawn for a neighbor and using that as an opportunity to share with them that Jesus loves them? And this doesn't have to be something that's done alone either, okay? I mean, this could be done as groups, I mean, as small groups or just a small group of Christians, you know, buying groceries for somebody and and sharing with them that this is a demonstration of Jesus caring about somebody. It can be done as a church, you know, outreach to local communities, much like what was done with a group of churches just this last Saturday, which New Life participated in. The choices are plentiful, but it will cost us something. And it's probably going to actually hurt in the pocketbook as well as in our spare time. Now to a degree we probably all struggle with giving away either our time or our money or both. I know I do, you know, that's, that's a real struggle that I have because there never seems to be enough to go around so we can do what we wanna do. We look at other people, we see how they're living their lives and you know, we're kind of playing the, the comparison game and before we know it we're often justifying giving just a little bit less. And again, I regularly feel that pull. But when the Jews were tithing, when the early Christians were tithing, they were living in much harsher times than we are today. But they continued to give sacrificially. It hurt their own standard of living. We live in the wealthiest nation in the world that has ever existed which means really, and you know, factually, that even the, the poorest among us has more at our disposal than most people in the entire planet have. However, even knowing that, okay, we still have the same struggle. I know I'd feel pretty foolish. I, I've, I've been to India and I've seen, there's people in India literally, in, in some of the major cities literally eating, Sleeping, everything, on the street. Okay, that's, just, that's where they do their thing. Um, it's, it's, it's pretty crazy. I know I'd feel pretty foolish talking to a, a man who lived there saying, look, you know, um, I can't give to an organization to help support you because I just had to drop $400 to buy an air conditioner. Now, to most of us, okay, to me, it seems like air conditioning is a legitimate need. It's not like I'm blowing money on entertainment or something like that. But what we see as a need in many, many cases is a mind-bogglingly different perspective than what the rest of the world actually sees. And this is not to say I shouldn't or you shouldn't buy an air conditioner. But what it is to say is that in the U.S., none of us is really in a place to say that we cannot afford to give of our wealth to advance the kingdom of God. And for most of us, for most of us, giving about 10% of our income towards that probably is a good place to start. But regardless, when we confront our our wrong thinking about this, it is going to hurt, okay? It's going to feel like there's a real squeeze on us. Again, whether it's our time, whether it is our money, It may mean that there are some things that we simply cannot afford to do, or there may be some things that we cannot help other people to do that we would like to do. But we need to very closely assess what are our needs, what are our motives, and what are our wants. Because this too is part of using wealth wisely. So what are our takeaways? First, we need to use worldly wealth as a means of sharing the gospel This is so that people will be receptive to the message and ultimately will be welcoming us into eternity in heaven. This is what making true friends means. As we share the gift of eternal life through Christ with them and use wealth as a means of making that more accessible. And the bonus is is when we use our wealth in this way, it makes that sharing so much easier. The second takeaway is if we can't be trusted with using worldly wealth wisely, then God is not going to entrust us with true riches. And it will likely impact our ability to serve him. Additionally, the love of money over the love of God, that idolization is the big red flag that we may not be following Christ at all. And if that is a concern to you, if it's a concern to us, we need to turn to God, which leads us to the third takeaway, which is if we are in danger of loving money or if we actually love money, Jesus' solution to that problem is to give it away. Because if we give away money, it shifts our love of money to the love of God and we will be storing up treasure in heaven, which this too is using riches wisely. So as we close today, my challenge for you is to ask yourself, how are you using the wealth, the money, the things that are at your disposal? How are you managing them? Are you managing them well? Or are you simply sort of keeping them to yourself? How are you using these things to advance the kingdom of God? And what can you do to better glorify God in this way? Let's pray. Lord, we just thank you. We thank you for who you are and the the ultimate sacrifice that you made for us. And we look to this calling that you have to use the things that you've provided to us wisely. And many times this is daunting for us, Lord, and and we resist. So Lord, I just pray that you would break through our hearts. Give us clear understanding. Show us how you would like us to use the things at our disposal. We just pray all this in Jesus' name, amen.